As we've been saying, this is the first weekend of Lent, a season of reflection, a season of repentance, a season of preparing our hearts to celebrate Easter. It's a, a season we go into knowing the end of the story with hope we can enter into this time of reflection. Uh, I have friends who don't celebrate Lent, and uh, it's become over the years a very rich season for me as an opportunity to remember who I am, an opportunity to remember who God is, and, and to figure out ways in which I can live more fully into who God has created me to be. We're very aware, all of us, of this broken world in which we live. We're very aware of our own humanity, that we all fall short of God's glory. We're very aware, all of us, that life just happens, and not always the way that we expect it to or plan it to or want it to, that our life's circumstances can change without any notice to us. And sometimes that leaves us wondering where God is in the midst of our lives. We all know what it's like to experience loss and grief and betrayal and heartache. We, we know what it's like to, to feel like we've uh, lived in, in a space of being disillusioned and, and disappointed and challenges at home and at work and in, in life and our culture and in our church. We're all very aware of those circumstances. And sometimes we're tempted to believe in all of that, that God has forgotten us, that maybe God has abandoned us, that God doesn't really love us because if God loved us, life would be easier. Or sometimes we even begin to suspect that God might be punishing us for something when we just can't quite seem to get ahead of life's circumstances. And we may find ourselves in a, a sense of um, a relationship with God that feels uncertain or, or tenuous, that's influenced more by the world around us than by the Spirit within us. And we can lose sight of the fullness of life that God intends for us. I think primarily that happens because we forget who we are. We forget that we are God's beloved children. And when we forget that, then we begin making poor choices. <clears throat> we begin having a harder time putting life in perspective, and, and it makes it more difficult for us to live fully alive as God intends. This season of Lent is an important time for us to remember who we are and who God is. So as we begin this season, I invite you to enter into the journey with us. Enter in with confidence and with hope in the one who has already written the end of the story, and it's good. We can enter into a, a season of reflection and repentance and being renewed by God's Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us today, that it would take hold of us and transform us, renew us, assure us of your love for us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This uh, year we will be uh, using this uh, source, uh, The Way, Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus by Adam Hamilton. We 
did this series about five years ago, and um, it really is walks through the whole whole season of Lent from Jesus' birth and baptism and temptation all the way to uh, death and resurrection. It's a, a good place to journey together. And so that's the resource we'll be using. You're welcome to get a copy of it. It has good material in it um, for any time of the year, but uh, it's an especially good resource for us. As we begin the season of Lent, the text that is always part, the scriptures that are always part of this first weekend of Lent are stories about Jesus's uh, baptism and temptation. These are all found in these are found in Matthew and Mark and Luke, with some uh, slight variations in them. But they're in all of those synoptic gospels. And, and the temptation of Jesus that we're going to talk about today really helps us remember how it is that we can face the temptations we face as God's beloved children. How we can stand firm as well. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. I want you to hold on to that phrase. I'm going to show you a couple of maps. I know this is tiny. I have a a, um, more close-up one here in just a moment, but... I want to show you kind of where we are. Here is the Jordan River. Here's where Jesus was baptized. This is Israel, this whole map, right, of where we've been. Here's Jerusalem right here. And here's, down here is Jericho and uh, the baptism site at the Jordan River. Here's the Mount of Temptation. We're going to talk about that. You can see that they're relatively close. I've got a couple pictures in a minute that will show you that you can see them Uh, from the same space, same spot, basically. And then you have, we'll come back to this map, you have the Sea of Galilee up here, and Nazareth is up here. So we'll be looking at these maps for the next uh, few weeks as well. Here's a better map of that uh, area. Again, here's Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Ein Karim is where John the Baptist is from. The Baptism at the Jordan River, the Mount of Temptation. And then again, up here is... Uh, Sea of Galilee. We'll be talking about Capernaum next week. So this gives you a visual uh, picture of kind of the, the geography of, of where, we will, where we will be. This is the Jordan River, the site. You, this is the baptism site that we've gone to, the times we've gone. You can see, um, it certainly when I first saw it was uh, unimpressive, right? I mean, it's kind of gross, muddy water. Uh, it's not very wide, actually. I expected it to be a fuller river, um, but nonetheless, this is the site closest to where we believe Jesus was baptized. You can, uh, there's a site up near the Sea of Galilee where they have a, a place where you can also experience remembering your baptism. It's in the Jordan River. The Jordan River connects those uh, to the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. So there is a site there, but this would be closer to the original site down here 
near Jericho uh, where Jesus was baptized. When we were there this year and last time, too, uh, we set up on the steps there and, and come in and remember our baptism. It was very, very hot uh, that day. The water, cool, even though it was dirty, it was cool. It felt nice to be in it. But that place uh, on the Jordan River and, and being in that water where Jesus was baptized... Immediately after Jesus is baptized, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Mark's gospel, Mark uses the word immediately a lot to continue the story, to keep the story going. And in Mark's gospel, it says immediately Jesus was led up by the Spirit, led by, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was named and claimed as God's beloved. Remember, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. The very next verse is, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led into the wilderness, which is a desolate and uh, lonely place. That's a view of the, uh, the Dead Sea, but that is the, the landscape. Here's part of the wilderness, the mountainous area, the Judean desert area. It's not a very, um, overall, not a lush place to be. This is where Jesus would have been um, led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is a picture of the Mount of Temptation. There is a monastery right here, the Monastery of the Mount of Temptation, uh, and this is the, the mount uh, on that map, the Mount of Temptation, where it's believed that Jesus was uh, led up to that space. Oh, here's a farther out piece of that. You can see it. We're standing, and this, for this picture, we're standing in Jericho at one of the archaeological sites in Jericho. We look to the north, and that is the Mount of Temptation. When you turn around, that same spot, when you turn around, that's toward the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. So you can see that uh, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. It's not that far for him to go to be led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. When I, I remember uh, when we were there, that sense of place, that sense of um, how things are related geographically. When you only hear the stories and you don't have a reference point, it's kind of hard to imagine how it all happened. But um, for those who have been, I think some of the experience is the same in terms of, of getting that connection with the geography. So from the same spot in Jericho, you can see the Mount of Temptation, and you can turn around and see toward the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. Jesus is tempted uh, by the devil, tempted by the devil who is the accuser, the arch enemy of God and of man, and and. The, the devil tempts Jesus in a way that tries to get Jesus to uh, be distracted, tries to confuse Jesus, tries to uh, convince him to, to despair of, of God's goodness and to um, presume upon God's power to alienate himself from who God is and for, from God's honors. Satan tempts Jesus to uh, basically overthrow his relationship with God as Father. Satan tempts us in the same way by placing doubt and discouragements and questions in our minds about who we are and, and who God is. 
Satan would love nothing more than for us to become convinced that we don't really belong to God, that we're not really God's beloved children. And yet in our baptism, we are named and claimed by God. That is our, our very first, our first place of being is as God's beloved children. And so that's where Satan's going to attack first, to see if Satan can convince us that God doesn't really love us, that we don't really belong to God. And yet we know from Jesus' example in facing this temptation that we too can stand up under the face of, under the weight of that temptation. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. This is continuing in uh, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The 40 days and 40 nights, the the people hearing the story would have remembered the 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness. They would have remembered that it rained and poured for 40 days and 40 nights with Noah. They would have remembered that Moses stayed on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. They would have remembered Elijah in the wilderness, this this sense of connection with God's people, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was famished. He was human. He was hungry. And Satan comes in with the one thing that would sound really good, right? Bread, food nourishment. And Jesus offers this scripture back to him. These scriptures that Jesus uses to respond to the, uh, to the devil are all come out of Deuteronomy, all come out of a, a place and time when uh, that would have been, Moses would have spoken them from just the other side of the Jordan uh, where Jesus had been baptized. So again, the connector between uh, Old Testament, New Testament, where Moses was, where Jesus is. The, the mountaintops uh, being driven into the wilderness. The connection for us as God's people, as God's beloved. But all of these scriptures that Jesus uses come out of Deuteronomy. But this says, uh, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This has been one of my favorite things to, to realize in the last several years is that Jesus has said this. And, and the very last word that he heard from God, do you remember what that was? This was the last, very last thing he heard from God. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This sense of identity, of being loved, of being known. The word that Jesus heard from God the Father at that, his baptism is nourishment for Jesus. And it's nourishment for us, too. No matter what we're facing in the world around us, if we can go back to remembering, oh, yeah, I'm a beloved child of God. God is pleased with me. Before I've done anything or not done anything, I belong to God. There's such sustenance in knowing that and in facing the trials of this life. If we can remember who we are. Remembering who we are goes a long way for us into living the the fullness of life that God intends for us. Nadia Boltz-Weber 
a Lutheran pastor and author says this, identity is always God's first move. Before we do anything right, God has named and claimed us as God's own. But almost immediately, other things try to tell us who we are and to whom we belong. Other things could be our parents or our bosses, or um, it could be our culture, our society. It could be our teachers. It, a lot of times it's based on our cultural understanding of, of who we are. And, and so we're told about who we are and most often told about who we aren't based on even the American dream and, and what we should be wanting to achieve and have. And the comparison of our lives with other people, we, we get caught up in uh, losing our identity to the world around us. But identity is God's first move, naming and claiming us. She goes on to say, if God's, if God's first move is to give us our identity, then the devil's first move is to throw that identity into question. Identity is like the tip of a spool of thread, which when pulled can unwind the whole being, the whole thing. The precision with which the devil or evil or darkness, whatever you want to call it, worms into our own lives is breathtaking. It's like a tailor-made radioactive isotope calling into question our identity as children of God. And nowhere are we more prone to encroaching darkness than when we are stepping into the light. Sudden discouragement in the midst of healthy decisions, a toxic thought, or a particular temptation. You probably have experienced this. When you've had a moment of being um, a mountaintop experience or a moment of clarity in your relationship with God or a moment in which you have been overwhelmed by God's love and you are sure about who you are, you turn around and you're hit in the face with a temptation to doubt who you are or to doubt God's love for you. And it is so tailor-made to each of us that it doesn't, we're not all tempted by the same things. But we all have that sense of identity and worth, and sometimes a lack of identity and a lack of worth is where that darkness resides. It can be as simple as uh, this, this week for Lent. I just, I've been thinking for a couple of weeks that I needed to spend less time on social media, and so uh, I decided that I would during Lent. Now, Fasting during Lent, Lent is the season of 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. It does not include Sundays. So you can get a little break on Sundays, right? But Facebook has been one of the ways I keep connected with friends and family, and I kind of know what's going on with people. But I really needed to spend less time on it. And so I made the decision that I was going to stay off of that. I'll be on it once a week. Uh, on Sundays just to kind of check in and, and see if there's um, anything that I need to know. But since Wednesday, when I stopped being on Facebook, every day there's been some little temptation just to click on the app on my phone, right? I was gonna, I'm just going to check it for a couple minutes, right? And I know it comes from being afraid of not knowing things or being afraid that I'm missing out on something or being afraid that, that I am going to be unaware of something I need to know, Right? That's a, a temptation for me. When I make a decision toward health and well-being, I'm going to be tempted to step right back into unhealth. Uh, for some people, it's sweets. You know how that is if when you give up something like sweets or you're going to eat healthier, and all of a sudden at your house or at the office, all there are are sweets, 
right? Every, every place you turn, there is candy or cookies or, or cake. Because when we make a choice toward health and well-being, we make a choice toward living into who we are as God's beloved, that becomes a threat to the enemy. And so the enemy will use whatever the enemy can to, to get under our skin and to create doubt and despair and discouragement. It often starts uh, as the enemy preys on our weaknesses and our insecurities, our, our fears. It often starts with the word if. Listen, uh, we've already heard it once. Listen again. The devil took him to the place, took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him again, said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. If you are the son of God, if you really are God's beloved, sometimes we, we hear it this way, if God really loves you, you wouldn't feel like this. If God really claims you as beloved, then you should have everything that you want. Because wouldn't God want that for you? Or if you really belong to God, then these things that are happening, these struggles, these challenges, this heartache, they wouldn't be happening to you. Because doesn't God want good things for God's people? All right, you see how this works? The enemy plants doubt and then supports it with things that are true, but has taken them out of context. God wants, doesn't God want good things for his people? Well, of course God wants good things for God's people. But just because you're not experiencing good things doesn't mean God doesn't love you. And it doesn't mean that you are no longer God's beloved, right? But the enemy gets into our minds and into our hearts and and praise on our doubts and our fears and our insecurities. The tempter will speak words of discouragement and despair, will speak words of resentment and bitterness, will, will try to isolate you and create a sense of hopelessness in you. The tempter will play on our ego and our pride, on our self-centeredness and our greed, all in an effort to keep us in the dark to keep us from letting the light of Christ shine in us and on us and through us. Yes, the light of Christ is going to reveal things in us that uh, we need to work on. That's how it works. But the light of Christ shining in us and through us changes us and it changes the world. The Holy Spirit living in us and through us changes the world and God's kingdom becomes reality among us. But if the tempter can keep us in darkness... If the tempter can keep us in darkness, then the tempter gains ground, right? But God says, you are my beloved. With you, I am well 
pleased. And when we can remember who we are, and we can stand firm in God's promises to us, then we can choose love. We can choose to live by love even when it's hard. Y'all know sometimes it's just easier not to love, right? Because love the way Jesus loves is hard. But when we remember that we are God's beloved, that God chooses us, that God is pleased with us, then we can choose love even when it's hard. We can choose love even when other people aren't loving. We can choose mercy and forgiveness. We can choose grace and kindness. We can choose truth and justice. We can choose light and life. We can choose hope. And one choice at a time, the victory that Christ has won for us over sin and death becomes a reality in our lives. John Wesley would say we're going on to perfection, that with every choice of love that we make, we're being made more like Christ, loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourself. And we begin to experience it in tangible ways. To be sure, choosing love doesn't negate the challenges that we face. Sometimes it feels like choosing love brings on more challenges for us, but we're never alone when we realize God's love for us and live from that place of being God's beloved. Jesus's temptations in the wilderness, certainly they were meant to test his resolve, but they weren't to um, weaken him or, or punishment, punish him. They were really uh, to strengthen him. Our wilderness, and sometimes, friends, we spend a long time in the wilderness, some of us more than others. Our time in the wilderness is never meant as punishment for us, but as opportunities for us to be strengthened and remembering the very core of who we are. And it can be a time of refining and a time of gaining clarity a time of letting the world and what the world tells us fall away so that we can believe and live in who God, set, God tells us we are. In all of that, there is some, there is some good news, uh, and that is that we're never alone in the wilderness or in our temptation. Even Jesus was not alone when he was in the wilderness. In, in Mark and in Matthew, in Mark it talks about Jesus being with the wild beasts and then the angels came and waited on him. And in Matthew it talks about the angels, suddenly angels came and waited on him. Jesus was not alone in the wilderness. We're not alone in the wilderness, even when it might feel like we are. Jesus knew scripture. He knew how to uh, respond when the, when the devil tried to plant doubt and despair and tried to twist words uh, to make them serve the devil's own purposes. Do you spend time in scripture? Are you grounded in scripture? Not just what other people are telling you about scripture, but, but really for yourself, knowing the story of God's love for you as part of the story of God's love for God's people. Jesus stood firm in temptation, and that gives us strength and hope out of Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can seek grace and mercy and help precisely because 
Jesus is our high priest, and Jesus faced the temptation and found strength in who he was. Jesus remembered that he was God's beloved. Jesus remembered that God is pleased with him before he's done anything. And the reality of our world with the temptations that we face, it's imperative that we remember who we are. And I wonder today if there's any part of you that has forgotten who you are, that has forgotten how deeply God loves you. I wonder what the greatest temptation is for you today that you face. I wonder if you wonder if God's forgotten you. One of my favorite authors, Jan Richardson, wrote this, uh, this poem. I'm going to read it as an invitation for us to enter into the wilderness of this season of Lent, to not be afraid of, of journeying together. This is called, Beloved is Where We Begin. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are. Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears, and if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That's what this journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of the night, but I can tell you that on this path there will be help. I can tell you that on this way there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name. Beloved. 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 Let us pray. Loving God, help us remember who we are as your beloved children. Help us hear your voice of love over all the other voices that seek to lead us and keep us in darkness. Help us find the assurance of your love for us and find strength in the wilderness that we face, in the midst of the world in which we live. We pray that it would be so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.